Can we bottle that energy? Yeah, would that be great? Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Happy New Year. It's so great to be worshiping our great God with you. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. This morning, we're going to conclude our study through the book of Galatians. We took a little break called Advent. Uh, we celebrated Christmas and the reality of that. And now we're coming back. We just have one more sermon looking at chapter six. But in God's perfect timing, it's so apropos uh, for the beginning of the year for us to be in this passage. So let me remind you that this whole series is entitled One Gospel. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the word means good news. And the gospel is the good news of how God loves sinners like us and everything that he has done for us, for us through his son, through his son, Jesus's life, through his death and through his resurrection. And in that reality, we have life and life abundantly. What was happening in the book of Galatians or the letter to the churches in Galatia was this. There was confusion of how do you make yourself right before God? How can God love you and accept you? And the thought was this, is that you need Jesus and you really do. But there were those who came to the church and says, real salvation is this. It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus and you got to add a few things, a couple of religious things like, like circumcision or, or in today's day and age, maybe baptism and keeping the law. And what Paul is saying is that's not the good news of the gospel. That's not what is given to us. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus self-improvement or, or even uh, Jesus plus a new resolution. Speaking of new resolutions, let's talk about your New Year's resolution. How you doing uh, one week in? Are you keeping it uh, so far? It's interesting that Forbes ran an article back on uh, January 1st, 2003, and it talked about New Year's resolutions, and it says this, and I think that they're right. Self-improvement, or at least the desire for it, is a shared American hobby, that there's something about being American that we want to be better we want to improve ourselves. Uh, I talked to a friend who's out at RDV, and he says, man, uh, working out at RDV changes the first week in January. I mean, everybody and their brother is showing up. Why? Self-improvement. We want to make ourselves better somehow. Speaking of New Year's resolutions, according to this article in Forbes, what is the percentage of Americans who actually have New Year's resolutions? Anybody have a guess of what percentage? 60 is a little high. It's actually 40%. 40% of Americans actually go as far as like maybe writing down a New Year's resolution. Let me put that in proper context. You know how many people, Americans watch the Super Bowl? It's 33%. And so there's actually more Americans that will sign up for New Year's resolutions than watching the Super Bowl. But here's the question. Again, according to this Forbes article, do you know what percentage of Americans actually keep their New Year's resolutions? Jim, now you're a little low, but it's, it's, it's awfully close. It's not 5%, but it's dangerously close to 5%. It's 8%. That 8% are, are those who actually uh, follow through and keep those resolutions. And by the way, the article goes and gives you four tips to help you succeed. So this is, I'm going to throw out for free, no extra charge. According to Forbes, if you want to keep your New Year's resolution, there's four things. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid, if you heard that. Keep it simple. Make it tangible. Make it obvious. And keep believing you can do it. It's interesting. 
at the very end of it was this thing about belief and belief in you and how you are able to do it. Well, again, that's almost the antithesis of what Paul is saying about the gospel because the gospel is not belief in you or in me. The gospel is the belief in God and his mercy and grace and what he has done for us through Christ Jesus. Paul is gonna say that this religion, this good news of the gospel, the Christianity, it's not about self-improvement. It's not about new resolutions that one day we're gonna be better, that our new resolutions, that we're gonna get good enough to win the day. As a matter of fact, Paul's gonna deal with something that's really at the core of Christianity. It's the DNA of Christianity. It's not about new resolutions. It's about what the Bible calls new creation, being made new. What wins the day in our relationship with God, what wins the day for us to, to know that we're loved by God is this being made new in Christ Jesus, new creation. So what does new creation mean? It's probably something that all of us want to know if it's so important, if it's at the crux and the center of Christianity, something we don't talk about often. What does it mean, new creation? Again, it goes back to gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, believes in Christ Jesus and his sufficiency. What does new creation really mean? Well, let's dig in and find out. So we're going to, as we land the plane here in Galatians, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6. Um, previously, as we've made our way through Galatians, we've kind of chopped up the chapters a little bit uh, more uh, than just one whole chapter. So we got a, a kind of a whole chapter to look at. But to ramp up speed, what we're going to do is borrow a couple of verses uh, from chapter 5. So let me remind you what is happening. He's telling us about the grace of God in this gospel. He's reminding us that it's not Jesus plus anything. There are those religious people who have come in and said, if you really want to get it, you got to have some religious ceremony like circumcision and you got to obey the law. And Paul's like, no, 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 it's not it at all. It's Jesus alone. And so we have just been looking in chapter five before Advent that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are that new creation and the Holy Spirit is in you and you should be producing the fruit of the spirit. Your life should look markedly different if you are a follower of Christ, if you have been made new. And so we're gonna be looking at this letter uh, beginning in chapter five, verses 25 through the rest of the chapter. It's only 18 verses uh, in, in the sixth chapter. But let me remind you, this is God's living word. It's holy, it'll never lead us astray. And God didn't give us his word just to entertain us, although it's incredibly entertaining. He gave it to us to transform us, to make us more like his son. Of all the things we do in the service, this is gonna be the most perfect because this is the reading of God's word. And he wants to speak to you. So will you lean in? Will you hear the word of the Lord as it's read? If you don't have your Bibles, it's listed for you in the bulletin, as well as the words will be beyond this, on the screen behind me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each of you will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not, not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will weep, reap, will from the flesh weep, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with, with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Paul would be dictating this letter. That's his custom uh, that would be sent out. But here at the end of the letter, he'll take the pen himself and have it in his, in his own hand, these last few words. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For here's the crux of where we're going. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me to be trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, in this incredible letter that you give to us through Paul. You say that it's not about religion. It's not about our morality. It's all about this thing called new creation. That's the only thing that counts. If there's only one thing that counts, one thing is clear, that we need to know what that one thing is. So God, would you come and be with your people by the power of your spirit? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth and your love and your reality? And God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, this, this new creation in Christ Jesus, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, if you want to follow along with me, you're going to find an outline. And what we're going to do today is I really have one point. And in this one point, we're going to break down what this one point means. And the one point is new creation is the only thing that matters. Paul is going to say it's not about religion. It's not about if you're baptized or you're not or circumcised. Those are good and important things. But the only thing that matters 
is this new creation. So what I'm going to do is we're going to unpack what this means. And let me tell you, we're going to dissect this section a little bit differently. I'm going to sometimes be at the bottom, the top. We're going to look all around this. But may God bless uh, powerfully for his glory the preaching of his word. And the first thing we're going to see under new creation is the only thing that matters is this gospel view of religion. There's this radical new view of religion and what people thought was religion is what's going to happen in this gospel, in this text, and through this letter, is Paul's going to say what's important. Here's what it is. It's about faith, the grace of God and faith. Faith working through love is the only thing that matters. He says that in chapter 5, verse 6. So, so he's kind of repeating that theme that it's all about being saved by God's grace through faith, not of circumcision. And what he's saying is this, is that salvation or a religion, a religion that's about your hands, about what we do in a religious way, about our, our keeping the law, about what we do, that's not what it's about. And so in chapter 6, verse 15, he'll say, it's circumcision or uncircumcision, it doesn't count for anything. But the only thing that counts is this new creation. You know what it's telling us? It's pretty radical. It's telling us this, that salvation is completely of the Lord. Salvation is God's idea. Salvation is by God's grace. Salvation, watch this, is accomplished all by God's work and not by ours. It's all because of what he has done, his love for us, his initiation, his sending of his son, his son living the life we should have lived, his son dying a death we deserve to die, his son being resurrected and conquering our greatest enemies of death itself. See, salvation is of the Lord from beginning to the end. And the only way we get this is not about uh, our religious acts or maybe joining a church, although it's important, or, or being baptized or, or trying to be moral. It's about his grace. This is what Jesus would talk about when he met a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a little bit embarrassed because he was a religious leader, and yet he wanted to come to Jesus, but he didn't want anybody to know about it. So he came at night. And so he came as a religious leader. He's like, now everybody knows that you are just like the most incredible teacher preacher ever. At the time, probably didn't know fully, this is the Messiah, God's own son. He said, What's, what, how, how do we get this relationship? How are we saved? And Jesus utters some really kind of profound, mysterious words. He says, the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven, watch this, is to be born again. It's to be made new. It's to be made a new creation. It's not about you, Nicodemus, memorizing scripture, although that's great. It's not about you being religious and trying to keep the Sabbath, though that's neat. It's all about becoming new. And the only way you're new is in Christ Jesus. Paul himself will pick up on this biblical theme in 2 Corinthians 5. And he'll say that in Christ Jesus, 517, in Christ Jesus, we're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. He's basically saying that we have been made new. We've been given a, a new nature. Uh, we've been made new. Our sins have been paid for and we have been made his. So in the reality of that, this new religious view is that the only thing that matters is faith working through love. But there's something very interesting about this. The only way we get this is we understand the cross. Paul will say this. The cross of Christ is the only thing in which he boasts. Paul was a really religious guy. He did amazing religious things. I mean, as far as religion goes, he was like the most righteous. But he knows all that religious stuff that he did by his hands. He says, that's like dung. That's nothing. That's rubbish. But in Christ Jesus, he says, all I'm going to boast about is the cross, the cross of Christ. Now hit pause. 
Who says that the only thing they boast about is the cross of Christ? What kind of mindset should you have to have? Well, he realized, you see, Paul realized that the only way to deal with his sin problem, and he had one like all of us, and a guilt and all the things he has not done for a holy God, the only chance he had to take care of that was not a new resolution, was not trying harder or working better. The only chance he had was through the cross and a sacrifice that God would make for him. You see, no one will ever boast in the cross of, cross of Christ who thinks that they have the ability inside of them to make it right. If you're here today and you have even a flicker of hope that, that one day's gonna arise or a new resolution is gonna come, that something's gonna happen, you're gonna be able to turn the corner and you're gonna be able to do it. You're gonna be able to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You're gonna be able to be good enough. You're gonna be able to, to be someone that God should love and be proud of. If you think for this, even the dimmest way that you have the ability in and of yourself to stand before a holy God, you will never boast in the cross of Christ. But for those of us, by God's grace, that know, oh man, am I a sinner? Scripture says it this way, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins apart from Christ. Although I want to even do the right thing, I don't do the right thing, Paul will say. And the only have hope we have, for those of us that realize how broken we are, how sinful we are, we boast in the cross of Christ because only there are we set free. It's basically saying this, no New Year's resolution can do the trick. No, just trying to get better can do it. The only way to set one free is through the cross. And that's why we boast. We boast in the conviction that we realize that we're sinners. And they realize that what we have done or the brokenness in our lives we can't fix. I remember sitting up in this section here at Orangewood one, one day, one Sunday, when Steve Brown, a famous preacher in our community, uh, was a seminary professor of mine, who's got a great deep voice and he sounds like God. And even in his prayer, he said this prayer and he's like, God, I'll never forget it. So how, how many prayers do you remember in your life, right? Especially preacher's prayers. Say all of yours, Jeff, thank you very much. But so I remember he's praying, he's like, God, we come to you like a child with a broken toy that we can't fix. And I began to weep because it was something in the beauty and the simplicity of that prayer that I realized that's me. There's something broken that's so deep, and that's you, that we simply can't fix. We just can't have enough resolutions. We can't do enough religious exercises. There's a problem that only God can fix through the work of his son and the death on the cross. And that's the reality that Paul will say, this view of religion is I'm gonna boast in the cross. But not only that, just that, that reality, but it's a reality that this view of religion, this view of relationship, it begins and ends with grace. Did you notice that the book of Galatians ends with grace to you? And how did it begin? It begins with grace to you. This religion, this Christianity is all based on God's grace, not on our merit. It's all on a God who moves toward us, who initiates with us. It begins with grace. Watch this. It continues with grace and it ends with grace. There's not going to be a time where we stand in glory where God's going to say, well, look at what you did, man. You walk really well by yourself through these days. Man, there were some tough times. Man, you were really independent there. That was fantastic. That's not Christianity. God's not growing us in Christ so that we can figure it out we don't need him. It's the reality that we become more and more dependent upon him. And it begins with grace. It continues with grace. It ends with grace. 
and the more we realize we desperately need him. You see, this is giving us a whole different view of religion, but it also gives us this gospel view of the world. Paul will say something again, kind of startling at first. He says, I've been crucified to the world, the world to me. It's all, it's all been crucified, he says in verse 14. What is he saying when he's been crucified to the world? Well, probably we understand that more if we go back to what he says in Galatians 2.20. In Galatians 2.20, he will say this, that I have been crucified with Christ. And then this is true not just of the Apostle Paul. This is true of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself from, for me. So the reality is this, is he's realizing that, that by faith in Christ, that we've been crucified with him. We've been crucified to the world. We've died to the world and we live for Christ. Well, let's unpack this a little bit more. What does this really mean? When we die to the world, it basically means this. We no longer look to the world to find our identity. We no longer look to the world to find our meaning. That, hey, out there, go find the meaning of your life. Go find your identity. Go find your security. Go find your joy. It's basically saying the world can offer nothing to me for my identity, nothing for my meaning, nothing for my joy, nothing for my security. All that completely in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I've died to the world. But it means more. Not only have I been crucified to the world, it means that and now we see the, the world through the lens of the gospel or through the lens of Christ. This is his world that he's created. And the goal is this. Listen, the goal is not for you and me to leave our mark on the world. That's the American dream. Go leave your mark on the world. Go and make this indelible mark that they'll remember you. That's not the Christian call. The Christian call is go and advance Christ's kingdom. Go and proclaim good news with your life. Go and make a mark on others in the name of Jesus. That's the agenda that we've been given. It's a whole gospel view of the world, but it's also a gospel view of others. Uh, I'm sorry, of, of ourselves, I should say. Uh, the gospel view of ourselves. Really interesting. Did you hear the way that Paul described us at the end of this letter? Uh, he called us something that at, at first you read this and think, what in the world does this mean? It says in verse 16, that, and for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, the first time you read this, you might think, is he giving this blessing to two? Is it upon the Israel of God and for those who are his? No, this is the one and the same. He's calling us, those of us who by God's grace are his, he's calling us the Israel of God. Now, it may not seem that radical, but you gotta understand, at the time, there were the Jews who thought the only way you're in is you're circumcised. The only way you're in is you're Jewish. And the only way you're in, we have this heritage. We have this guy named Abraham. And aren't we saved through his lineage? Aren't we God's chosen because of him? And we're realizing, well, it's through, he was a man of faith and through faith that we are his chosen. Through faith, we are God's people. And he's saying to those who were called Gentiles, those who seem far out, he goes, hey, you're the Israel of God. You're part of all the promises. You're, you're, you're the ones of all the blessings. And it's not enough that we're just seeing ourselves rightly as the Israel of God. We know as we've looked through this letter, he's called us other things, that we are the sons of Abraham. Who are the sons of Abraham? Is it because we're Jewish? No. It was because we believe as Abraham believed in the promises of God. Because of that, we're, we're those, that promised blessedness, the promised blessing. It says we're the heirs of God. 
And all the blessings of the spiritual realms are ours in Christ Jesus. But it's more than that. In Galatians 4, 4, it says, we're the beloved adopted sons of God. You have to see yourself rightly in God's eyes. And he sees you as beloved. He sees you as family. He sees you as his own. And he gives you this incredible title, the Israel of God. And all the promises of God as his people are ours. But in that reality, he's also going to say in the gospel, you're not to think of yourself too highly and you're not going to think of yourself too low. We have the tendency to do both of those. I know I swing back and forth and I could do it in a nanosecond. I'm the greatest thing in the world to I'm absolute pond scum. I mean, I have this like, man, oh man, look at me to, oh my gosh, I'm the worst. And in the gospel, we're to do neither because both is selfish and both is focusing on ourselves. But in the gospel, it lets us see ourselves rightly. Who are we? We're sinners. We're a mess. Let's be honest. We're broken. We pretend we're sinners. But listen to this. We're sinners loved. We're sinners, but we are beloved. And here's the reality of all of us. We have an equal standing. There's not a pecking order. There's not a hierarchy. He doesn't like me more because I'm ordained and you less or like those who are this or that. Here's what it says. Remember in Galatians 3.28, we saw this. Is that in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. What's he saying? He's basically saying that we're equals. We're brothers. We're family. And we need one another. So see ourselves rightly. Beloved in Christ Jesus, see ourselves rightly that we are next to one another. But here's something I want to use. It's kind of, it's going to help us to get to the next point. It says this, very interesting in verse five. You got to carry your own load. What does that mean? Well, we're going to get to the fact that God's going to tell you to carry one another's burdens. A load here is interesting. A load's like a backpack. It's a knapsack. It's something that you should be able to carry. It's something that you should be able to manage. So what is God telling us when he says, you have a right view of yourself and consider yourself able to carry your own load? Well, it's basically saying for this, you can't have a healthy relationship with Christ to help others until you have a healthy relationship and see yourself rightly until you know who you are in Christ Jesus, until that's a reality. You can't carry someone else's burden if you can't see yourself rightly. Maybe the best way to describe it is when you get on an airplane, they go through all the safety procedures and why they still tell us how to put on our seatbelt. Really? I mean, seriously, we need that one more time. But what do they say to you about the oxygen mask? They don't tell you the golden rule. Hey, make sure you put it on others before you put it on yourself. Think of others. No, what do they tell you? Put on your own mask. Why? Because you're no good passed out helping others. So put on your own mask. And what he's saying is, see yourself rightly, beloved in Christ Jesus. Beloved, a part of his family. But you know what? Make sure that you see yourself right because you can give to others. Make sure that you are healthy enough to carry your own load because then we have to have the gospel view of others. And with a gospel view of others, you know, here's the reality. Apart from the gospel, here's how we see others. The ones who are above us, we're envious man, I wish I was like them. I wish I had their ride. I wish I had their crib. I wish I had their family. I mean, look what the job they have. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their bank account. We're envious. And the ones below us, we despise them. We think, oh my gosh, I mean, what's wrong with them? And so in the flesh, and I'm telling you, it's true, isn't it? This is what we all do. We look above and we envy. We look below and we, we despise. And so in verse 26, it's very interesting about what he says. I love how he words it here. Let us not become conceited. This is vainglory. Let us not be puffed up, provoking one another and envying one another. 
And this is basically saying, don't be conceited thinking you're better than others. And the word provoking is, I'm challenging you. I'm better than you, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it to the way I live my life. And, and how many of us with a competitive nature, once, oh, it's just competitive. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not to look at someone and say, I'm better, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to provoke you. But it also says, don't envy one another. I mean, don't, don't look uh, above and say, oh, man, I wish I was more like you. The gospel, make sure that you're side by side with one another. You see, the gospel should remind us that we're broken, that we can't fix ourselves. And that should give us a humbleness, but it should remind us that we're loved and that should give us a boldness. So now it tells us how to live. If we are in Christ Jesus, we can be bold. We can correct one another. It says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, that you were supposed to help them untangle that. The word transgression here is, it's, it's like they're trapped in a sin. Uh, they, they, are, they're, they need to be restored. This doesn't mean that you need to nitpick your, your neighbor. It doesn't mean that you point out everything wrong with them. Because remember, love covers a multitude of sins. What this does mean is if they are entangled in a sin, you have a responsibility to help them out. It says to restore them. But here's the spirit of gentleness. It's basically the word restore means to set a break or to set something back that was dislocated. During the Advent season, there was a little girl that was being swung around here after church by her dad. And it was just a great moment, but just her elbow just happened to go out of joint. And so that pain of that elbow being out of joint was awful. And in God's good grace and providence, there was Ken Baker, uh, who had the ability and the training as, as a medical uh, doctor to be able to help that elbow get back into, just like I just watched him just weave that thing, just touch that thing, press that thing. And there was crying and pain. But when that thing got back into the right place, there was peace and joy. You see, that's the picture of the gospel that we should go to one another. And it might be painful, but we should love one another in reality to, to try to get that reset and back in place. There's a lot of scars in my family because I've chosen peace of not saying anything over the reality of entering in and be able to take something that was dislocated and try to restore it with gentleness. You see, the gospel calls us to be bold. The gospel calls us to be humble and to see one another rightly. We are to correct one another, but we're to do more. We're to carry one another's burdens because we love one another. And these are the burdens. This is not that back set. It's not your load. It's not just say what you should be able to carry. There's burdens in our lives that, that need others. God puts them on us at times, but we just can't do it. And that's the beauty of what God's planned for us. And it says that we should carry one another's burdens. There's more than that. It says that we should share with one another. It actually uses this context. Those of you who are taught the word of God, share with those of you who teach the word of God. Love that passage. Let me make sure you hear that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you guys do. Orangewood's great. But the word is to share. It's very interesting. It's koinonia. It's basically saying that we should have a fellowship together. Is if God has given me the ability to study and preach his word and, and, and grow together and we share life together, we share what God has given us. This is so important for us to live our lives in community, to engage with one another. This is a call to engage. You can't just live a solo flight of Christianity. Why? Because God says, if someone's entangled in sin, go to them and help them. If someone needs a, a help with carrying a burden, you gotta be there. If someone needs to, to be having fellowship and share, you gotta be there. You can't share if you are not connected to one another. That's why it's so important. And listen, I know what one of me say. I'm just too busy. I'm too busy for community group. I'm too busy to get involved in other people's lives. I got so much stuff going on in my own life. That's not the gospel and that's not Christianity. 
Christianity is you are called as a beloved family to one another. And the way you love God and the way you love your neighbor, the way you fulfill the law of Christ is you engage, you enter in, you love, you realize who you are. You're not above, you're not below, you're alongside. And you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the gospel gives us the proper view of others. And lastly, the gospel view of living. Basically, don't grow weary in doing good. We don't do good to earn God's favor because we've received God's favor, because he has done so good for us in Christ Jesus. And there's supposed to be a priority of church, especially to those of the household of faith. Don't grow weary of serving. I know it's wearisome, but we're to live in a certain way, live in peace, peace with God and peace with one another and mercy and walk in the things of Christ, verse 16. You see, it's not about New Year's resolutions, but it's about being a new creation by God's grace through faith in Christ. It's living out of your reality of who you are in Christ. Remember, only 8% keep their New Year's resolutions. But to those who come by God's grace to Christ, those who lay their life down to him, 100%, he never fails, will be kept in Christ Jesus. The ones he makes new, he preserves, and he continues to bless, and he will never let us go. Let me ask you an honest question. What are you hoping for? Do you hope for a new resolution to change your life, a new you? Or are you hoping for a new creation, that new creation of who we are in Christ Jesus? For those of us who are his, live out of that reality. Remind yourself who you are. And for those of you who have yet to embrace Christ, let me tell you, you're never gonna get good enough. You're never gonna turn the corner. You can't, none of us can. And that's why Jesus came for us. He came not just to make us a little bit better. He came to make us brand new and make us his own. You see, communion is gonna be a tangible reminder that it's not about new resolution. It's about new creation. Communion is a tangible boast that we boast in the cross of Christ, that we can't do it. We got a problem we can't fix, but God fixed it through his son. And now in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. It's a table that causes us to remember, again, remember him and what he's done for us. It's a meal just for those who are his, those who are new creations. And may you come and be reminded of the depth of love God has for you. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you're not a God who just says, get better, try harder, do more. You're a God who's made us in your image, who loves us eternally and perfectly in Christ Jesus, and a God who has provided for us everything we need, everything you require of us, and you're a holy God, and you require perfection. You require everything. Everything you require of us, you provided for us in Christ Jesus. And therefore we boast, we boast in a cross of Christ, that the spotless lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world would be pierced for our transgressions, would die a death we deserve to die so that we could live a life of grace and mercy as your beloved. Oh, Father God, help us to set our hopes on that new creation, live out of that new creation. May today be the day where some are drawn into that new creation, where they realize it's not about a new year's resolution. It's not about trying harder or doing more. It's about resting and trusting and believing in all that Christ has done. 
Thank you for this meal that's a sermon in itself that teaches us and reminds us the sacrifice that was made so that we could be made new. Come and bless our giving of our tithes and offerings. Bless the cheerful giver and prepare hearts. Prepare our hearts to meet with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.